Hello and welcome to today's episode of Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. Today I'm joined by holistic skincare expert Nadine Artemis. Nadine will be discussing the secret to healthy, radiant skin. She'll explain what the skin microbiome is, factors that contribute to premature aging, and how to protect your skin from damage. Find out which harmful toxins can be found in everyday skincare products, the importance of sunshine and vitamin D, and how to adopt a skincare routine that works for you. Nadine Artemis is the founder of Living Libations, an exquisite line of pure botanical serums, elixirs, and essential oils. She's a gifted aromacologist and visionary who gathers and works with the purest ingredients from around the world. Nadine is also the author of two books, Renegade Beauty and Holistic Dental Care, and is a key speaker at health and wellness conferences. She's an esteemed health and beauty commentator for media outlets like the New York Times, Goop, Vogue and Elle magazine. And her celebrity fans include Alanis Morissette, Carrie-Anne Moss and Mandy Moore, who describe Nadine as a true sense visionary with an astounding knowledge and the greatest collection of rare and special oils. Hi, Nadine. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. It's great to have you here. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Now, today we're talking all about skin health and the secret to glowing, radiant skin, which I'm sure is going to be a popular topic as we all want to look and feel our best. And and given your amazing skin, we're dying to know what your secret is. But before we get into it, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience and what led you to start up Living Libations? Yeah, well, it's, it feels like it's been a long journey. I've been formulating, you know, skincare and various botanical concoctions from oral care, hair care, just basically any and all beautiful things for the body for about 30 years. I opened up North America's first full concept aromatherapy store in 1992, where we had a beautiful scent bar and we would custom blend perfumes. And so I showcased a lot of my formulas there. But what led to that is, you know, as a, as a child, I was definitely always concocting with mud or experimenting in my mum's bathroom, you know, mixing up her perfumes. Or later in my, I would get all the hand-me-downs and my bathroom was just like a whole bevy of bottles that I would, you know, mix and match or crush powders and melt them into lipsticks and all of that. And then in grade nine, there was a rare self-directed learning moment where you got to pick your own subject for a science fair. And I had found this book on cosmetics at the library that had a a beautiful chapter on perfume and the history and the mystery and the distillation. So that was sort of the first whiff I got, so to speak, of understanding the ingredients in the history of tincturing and distilling from flowers, their essence. And the book talked about how these things were called essential oils and could be probably found at the health food store. This is back in the 80s, which I imagine back in the 80s too, in England, there would have been also essential oils starting to be at the health food stores and everything because there was a good wave of aromatherapy in the 80s in the UK. But anyway, so I, you know, I was reading books and, and gathering all this information. And then it was when I was at university first year, really you know, and then cooking and making my own foods and then really starting to understand 
and question, you know, what am I eating? What's on the label? There was an organic farmer's market. And I got this really awesome book on how to like really dissect the labels at the supermarket and understanding, you know, a lot of the high fiber stuff was kind of like forms of cellulose or brown sugar was like white sugar with molasses. So it was like, I was undoing a lot of food myths and really understanding things in a way. Again, there wasn't that much information like we have now to understand really anything at the drop of a hat. So that I found really interesting. And I haven't eaten processed foods since then. Like it was so deep what I was learning and preparing. And then it, I just, you know, obviously made me question the labels of the products that I had, which at the time were the body shop, which you thought was sort of green. It was sort of the beginning of, of green beauty. I don't even know if we had that phrase yet. And then I was like realizing, you know, it was, wasn't the fuzzy peach bath oil had never been in peach. There was no cucumber in the cucumber face. You know, it was just another petroleum promised land of synthetic fragrance oils and all that sort of stuff. But it was also an exciting moment to find that out because I think I was like, oh, now I can really concoct. Like clearly there's a need, just like I would want to make a real organic food dish Now I want to make sure that I'm putting that on my body. So I I started to formulate and also create formulas that had an intention to heal. So, you know, instead of just like moisturizing, looking at, I had something called waitress legs that would help with spider veins and, you know, cool the legs from being upright or things for acne, eczema, rosacea, uh, you know, lip balms. I would put in recycled film canisters. I would uh, recycle these beautiful blue glass bottles to put in the face oils and massage oils. So I was doing all of that while I was going to university. Then I wrote to different distillers around the world and started getting in samples from different farmers. And that's all, that was a neat moment too, because then I got to really see a difference in quality than just getting, you know, ingredients that were at the health food store. And that was, such a beautiful thing because I would get in samples of even something that's like common or regular, like a lavender or tea tree or a bergamot and really just see there was this whole other quality out there in the world that wasn't the bottles at the health food store, uh, those essential oils. So then I was, you know, started to create relationships with distillers and I started to import all the beautiful raw materials and I would read books, you know, either, you know, current aromatherapy books at the time or earlier ones in the 19th century or 18th century that had, you know, a lot of European books that were really even looking at recipes from antiquity. So that was fascinating too, to, to kind of like remake recipes that were ancient or to find the current the raw material in the modern world because I would read about it. And then I would like, oh my God, I have to smell Immortal or Angelica which weren't quite easily available back then. Yeah, so that sort of was got what got me started, and here we are. And here we are, and you are one of the true pioneers of, of natural skincare. You know, you've been there right from the start, and as you say, you know, back in those days, there wasn't you know, the level of what we have now. And, and I can say from using your products, they are the, the purest of the pure, and they're beautiful products, you know, and you can just feel them on your skin, and it... it, it they just feel, you know, they glide on and, you know, they are pure. It, there's nothing, you know, synthetic in there at all, which is not 
as you say, when you're going out and looking in the health food sh- stores and stuff like that, you're kind of looking at the green ingredients and and there's lots of sneaky little things in, in a lot of the products, isn't there? So true. When you're coming up with sort of your new products, what, you know, where are you sourcing the ingredients from or, or where are you going out to find, you know, the raw materials? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, luckily, I've been working with a lot of the same distillers and farmers for 30 years or, you know, or like 25 years or 20, you know, so, you know, you gather your people slowly and just continue those relationships. So we've got that going on. And really, it takes the whole world because we need all the beautiful growing climates for all the different plants. So I've got distillers in Madagascar, France, Argentina, Indonesia, South Africa, Tanzania, you name it. Going to the source, the best, the best of the best. Yeah, it's like you got to go directly to the source because you know then you can have that relationship. You can really be on top of the quality. And then what we do too is we also third party test. So there's a you know a good lab that we work with, and then po- so we have profiles of the of all of our essential oils on the website as well, so people can get a glimpse of the science of the purity if they're interested in that. Mm. And what I love about your products as well is that they're targeting problems, as you say, like those spider veins or, you know, specific things for acne and, and you know, rosacea and, and different skin issues, which is great. Yeah, because like if you're going to be applying something, it's like let's, you know, A, like make that work beautifully on the body synergistically with our skin, with our immune system, with our mitochondria. So that's sort of the first part, like... In the name of beauty, hopefully we are applying beautifying things and not things that will compromise our endocrine system or our liver, you know, or our skin microbiome, that kind of thing. So that's pretty key. And then because, you know, there are obviously ingredients like jojoba and general things that are generally there to moisturize and nourish. But when you work with the palette of essential oils, if they're authentic and pure, I mean, they're so, you know, not that this is a scientific word, but they're kind of magical. (laughs) They really are these fascinating liquid that is so multifaceted. So, you know, you've got this, the beautiful aromas, which are sort of like, I mean, that would be enough, right? If frankincense just gave us its beautiful aroma, that is enough, but it does so much more. So, I mean, and, and all the essential oils. So I'm generalizing, but generally speaking, they're all antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal. Many of them are anti-inflammatory. So there are these, you know, wonderful sort of medicants, so to speak, that can and do work with us beyond the smell. So there's a physiological action in the body when we're inhaling or applying the essential oils, even if you can't smell, there it's still the molecules are still doing their work. And so that's what I find just so beautifully fascinating as well as practical. Yeah, I just it's like such a great discovery of the distillation of the essential oils that we can get that juice, that concentrated essence and and work its magic in skincare and you know that's also how a lot of skincare was created you know for hundreds of years with the ingredients of the essential oils obviously to a different extent in different countries and at different times in history 
But when we can use things like a rosado, immortal, frankincense, lavender that can, you know, prevent scars, break down keloid tissue, get rid of cold sores, help things like cystic acne. It's, it's just like, you know, we've got, we've got the answer. If we can just, you know, get it into a purity and let go of a lot of our modern concepts of skincare. We've got a lot of answers in the essential oils. Mm, yeah, I agree. And we're going to talk through some of those solutions and some of those oils a, a bit later on and, and, and get your advice on what we should be using for, to address different, different skin issues. But before we get onto that, I just wanted to, to dig a little bit deeper on the, on the skin, just to, to explain to our listeners why it's so important. And as you mentioned, you mentioned the skin has got a microbiome. You, you know, we quite often hear about the gut microbiome, but the skin also has one. Now, can you just explain a little bit about the importance of the skin and, you know, what the skin microbiome does and then the different factors that affect it. Yeah. So our skin, as many people know, is an organ. It's our largest organ. It's kind of the only one that's visible and that we're, you know, touch in a way. I mean, obviously we can touch our eyes and stuff, but you know what I mean? It's not like the pancreas. So it is this organ. There's a respiration cycle. There's an in and an out. And I like to think of it as the moist envelope of our soul. And so it's taking care of us, the skin, and yet it can be exposed to a lot. But it's a, it's also a huge part of the communication in our body or our nervous system, our endocrine system, our immune system. It's a huge part of our innate immune system, our skin. And so with our daily application of beauty products, we want them to be working with our innate immune system, which of course also includes the microbiome. And as you said, most people are aware of the the gut microbiome, but we are kind of like, a, we're like basically a host to a bacterial banquet. And our skin, skin is this tapestry teeming with trillions of microbes. And as gross as that sounds, and allow the beneficial bacteria to be our beautician. Yet most modern skincare disrupts the innateness of our microbiome, of the skin's microbiome. And so it kind of puts us in a catch-22 where we're doing things in the name of beauty, applying things in the name of beauty, and yet that very action is disrupting our health and beauty and can be actually pro-aging with a lot of the things that we're putting on our body that mutate the microbiome, disrupt the microbiome. And so that's something that we want to work harmoniously with. So all of our ingredients work with the microbiome. Whereas things like, you know, there's so many types of petroleum, for example, in, in skincare. Or think of like a mouthwash, you know, like an antiseptic mouthwash, which is killing off, you know, the nitric oxide and the beneficial bacteria in the mouth. Or toothpaste with triclosan because there's also a microbiome in our mouths. So then we're thinking that we're cleaning and we're, you know, doing all the right things, but we're literally disrupting the system in the body that's designed so that it's sort of a self-contained system. You know what I mean? Like, obviously we've got to eat right, but we weren't born with a toothbrush in our hands. So what are the systems in the body that bring balance to that area naturally? You know, we weren't not like everybody's been washing their faces with soap forever. So, you know, what are the systems in the body that keep the skin nourished on its own? 
And then how can we enhance that with beneficial ingredients? So that's where I'm looking to. An interesting understanding of the microbiome in the oral area is obviously we're familiar with things like plaque and, you know, pathogens that can create cavities or tartar and biofilms. Well, a lot of that is the work of the non-beneficial bacteria, the pathogens. And when they, you know, gain in numbers because things are off with the general balance of the microbiome, then they're able to communicate more, kind of gang up, group the the pathogens. Normally, they're sort of free-floating around on their own, but then if the whole environment is compromised, then they're able to sort of gain more power, so to speak. Anyway, that gathering of them, then they're able to form things like biofilms, which are hard to penetrate with something like an antibiotic, for example. But what we're seeing now with research on oral care and the microbiome is things like essential oils, they actually have this thing called a quorum sensing inhibitor. So quorum sensing is the action of the pathogens gaining traction, you know, getting, getting sort of outnumbering things in an imbalanced way. And now we know that oils like clove, frankincense, rose auto, peppermint, cinnamon, neem, mastic, frankincense, a lot of these botanicals that we've known transhistorically, cross-culturally, are, have been used for oral care for hundreds of years. And now we get to see, like, some through the modern scientific lens that these essences are these quorum sensing inhibitors. So that they, that is bringing an understanding to why they were chosen in ancient times for the oral care, for example. Mm, very interesting. So, so what you're saying is a lot of the, the ingredients in, in common toothpaste, for example, are causing the problems within sort of the, you know, the microbiome of the mouth. Oh, yes, yes. So we've got things like sodium lauryl sulfate, which is very common surfactant that's found. And it, and there's also, it's got a few different names too, like sodium lauryl sulfate. And I don't even know, there's all these. Derivatives. Yeah. So, and it's like a foam, it's foaming. So it could be in foaming cleanser, shampoo, toothpaste. In the mouth, what it's doing is it's irritating the gums. Again, it's not going to irritate them on a level that's immediately like, oh, because it's just this sort of slow changing of the oral environment that would cause things like bleeding and receding gums. Or triclosan, which is kind of like an antibiotic. And it is, it's been banned in hand sanitizing soaps and preparations because it came to be understood that triclosan was then making people more susceptible to superbugs because putting it on your hands was affecting your own innate immune system and the microbiome. So it's been taken out of those, but it's still in toothpaste. And because we've sort of, for like about 50 years, sort of had this sort of like a germ warfare theory, sort of like how we've been industrial farming with pesticides, right? It's just like, kill the enemy or whatever. (laughs) Kill the bug. Yeah, kill the bug. And then that's sort of been the same even in the mouth. So it's like, oh, well, we just got to strip the bacteria. But now we know, and that's sort of, I feel like coming in more in the past, like 20, 25 years of understanding like, oh, there's this whole microbiota 
oh, we there are beneficial bacteria. Oh, we're mainly beneficial bacteria. So, I mean, they used to think, I think in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that our intestines or a part of our digestive process was like a sterilization, for example. <laughs> but yeah, so, and then triclosan is actually like, you know, not good for aquatic ecosystems either. So, you know, knowing that we're, our bodies are a bit of an aquatic ecosystem, it's just not beneficial. And that's just like, you know, one ingredient out of thousands that are problematic. And then there's the fluoride. Yes. So, yeah. So, I mean, because a lot of people, obviously, you know, it's been drilled into us, you know, for years and years. And every time people go to the dentist, you know, you've got to have fluoride. It's what strengthens your teeth, et cetera, et cetera. Can you just touch on that briefly? So, I do write about it in my in my books as well, if people want more information. And there's a lot of information that you can get on the website, I mean, on, on the internet. The main thing is that it seems to, fluoride in the body seems to disrupt a main enzymatic system, which then basically leads to the stiffening of sto- soft tissue and the weakening of things like bones. And the side effects, you know, from it being in the water supply or being exposed to it are are quite, you know, like even Harvard did a study that showed it lowered IQ. Mm, it's a real neurotoxin, isn't it? So we, that's just not what we want happening. You know, we definitely want to keep our soft tissues pliable and our bones super strong. What is good is something called nanohydroxyapatite, because that's basically what our teeth, it's a mineral that our teeth are made out of. And of course, then they were, it was in a sea of other ingredients that we wouldn't want to put in our mouth. But that ingredient has been tested to show that it prevents bone loss. So it was tested by NASA and like astronauts used it in outer space to prevent the bone loss in their bones. And what it does is it repairs the tooth surface. It helps to, you know, even it out on a microscopic level, helps to whiten. And many dentists find that that is a great alternative to fluoride but the thing is it's not it's not common knowledge is it and and there's as you say there's not not many products out there with it but even with like calcium supplements as well that's the type of calcium you want you know want to be having rather than calcium carbonate for example which is like chalk so there's yeah, all those kind of subtle refinements that you know i mean i know this because like you know it's sort of my business and lifestyle to know it but it, it is a lot for like a common person that just to like, you know, have good skin and healthy teeth. It is a lot. And I think obviously when, you know, we kind of been programmed to, you know, believe that we need to do certain things for our teeth, you know, we need to drink milk for calcium, we need to put fluoride on our teeth to keep, you know, cavities away. It's very hard for people to understand that that's not the case. So, you know, going and, you know, the research is now starting to come out about fluoride and, you know, the work that you've been doing and, and, and things like that is really, really, really helpful for people because it's breaking down that information so that they can understand it easier. Yeah. And we have to even question, like, do we even need to do half this stuff? Yeah, exactly. Like most women's skincare routine involves, you know, sort of a, a cleanser, a toner, a moisturizer and something else, something else. And and as you say, you know, the average woman's putting 150 chemicals on her skin before she leaves leaves the house. And it's like, yeah, it's not necessary, is it? Mm-hmm, exactly. So just going back to the skin, what are some other ingredients that, that people should be looking for with skincare products that are really harmful to health? 
Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. But on another level, it's just there's like thousands of ingredients. So it's just, and generally, if there's one in a thing, it's like, I don't know. I think there's just huge chunks. (laughs) If it's too long a word and it sounds like it's out of a science lab, avoid it. Which even, I mean, even if you've sort of going to like the health food store at this point instead of the drug store, then there's still a bit of navigation to do because there can still be things like glycerin and face toners, which are going to create maybe a a temporary plumping that day, but long-term dehydration in the cell or, you know, just like then not real ingredients. So maybe it's lavender, but it's not real. But that would be hard to tell unless you, you know, you can tell maybe through smelling, but not through reading. Or it's just made with like rancid oils, like almond, peach kernel, grapeseed oil. You know, I wouldn't use those oils. They, they're rancid too quickly. They're usually rancid by like on the shelf at the health food store. Or they're using other ingredients to compensate for that rancidity. Or it's not actually even real almond oil or grapeseed oil has, if it has so many solvents to clear it, it is greenish, but if it had no solvents, it would actually be like sort of more sludgy, you know, or is it jojoba that's been deodorized and and bleached? So there's a lot. (laughs) There is a lot. You know, what are some simple steps that people can take to, you know, protect and heal the skin microbiome? Because obviously, you know, people without having that kind of in-depth knowledge, they're going to find it very confusing. So what's the, where's a good place to start? If you really wanted to get completely basic, foundational, if you had like an aloe vera plant in your bathroom and a beautiful bottle of real olive oil or organic jojoba, some baking soda, some apple cider vinegar, and maybe like one real essence of like frankincense. I mean, you could literally just use that for like face and teeth. If you just did that, use those ingredients for the rest of your life, you'd be far better off than buying something from the drugstore or or even the beauty counter with those basic ingredients. And I, I'm in Renegade Beauty, I discussed like, you know, how to use all those things. So the apple cider vinegar, you would dilute like 50, 60%, and that could be a face tonic. You can use the baking soda to brush your teeth. You could, so, and you can wash your, so I also really am into washing the face with oil. And I talk about that in depth in the book as well. We don't want to use, and we don't need to use soap even if it's like a mild foaming cleanser from the health food store, we don't need those on our skin. Our research in the microbiome, not my research, but modern, the current research on the microbiome is showing that these surfactants, these synthetic surfactants, when we look under a microscope, are leaving microscopic splinters on the stratum corneum, which is that thin top layer of the skin, and they're not rinsed away when rinsing our faces after washing with soap. So that's sort of like, and then that microscopic irritation, you know, builds up over time and can lead to things like hyperpigmentation, melasma, just some weird dry patch on your skin, you know, that you can't get rid of, that kind of thing. And when we look to, I'm always looking at like, what did we do like thousands of years ago? Mm. We had a, a more organic palette of ingredients. And then what like biologically is happening like so if we can get out of the way 
what is happening in the body, like what is the natural way that that's taken care of. And when we look to the ancients and how they cared for skin, it was through oil and, you know, whether it was sort of like the Roman baths, ancient Chinese culture or the Berber women, you know, just varying cultures. They were using oil before the baths or oil, oiling up the skin and then using like a striegel or a gua sha or like a bone kind of tool that would then, if you think of like sort of taking the flat of a butter knife, you sort of oiled up your skin and then you're sort of scraping the skin. It's gentle though, like a, with a gouache, like kind of like a guasha. So the word scraping might seem too harsh. Just kind of pushing the toxins out sort of thing. Like can push the toxins out, but even just sort of exfoliating that top layer of skin, even that action then would also send the moisture deeper into the skin. And that's what we can do to cleanse our faces. So you can just take that olive oil, jojoba oil, we make the beautiful best skin evers, but you don't need to do that. You can use an organic cotton pad. You can use your fingers or you can use, I love using just a classic face cloth because you've got that, you know, bit of that terry texture. You just dampen a spot and then squirt on the oil and then, you know, massage that around your face with the cloth. Um, if you need to remove makeup or something, you can do the same. You just dampen the cotton pad, put on the squirt of oil and then remove your makeup, cleanse your face, rinse with water, and then one little squirt of oil, and you're good to go. And I mean, that like I've been teaching about for 30 years. And, you know, every day we get all kinds of comments and emails about, you know, skin clearing up, cystic acne after a decade finally going, hyperpigmentation clearing up, people feeling confident that they can leave the house without makeup. So you know, that's just one simple step that can be done. And I think it's a pretty, pretty major one. But just that switch from not soaping the face is huge. And you can do the same thing for the rest of your body. You can have a bath or shower, then squirt that oil on the face cloth and run that over your body. Like kind of like a striegel with a face cloth, but it's obviously milder because it's just a cloth. So you can do that and then also just take care of the body skin. And then for soap and the body, you know, it's just really pits, bits. Of course, you want to wash hands, scrub your nails, but we don't need to be sudsing our skin in general to keep it clean in any way. Like you don't need to like soap your thigh. No, and it's very drying, isn't it? You know, if you put anywhere soap near anywhere, because you say it's just taking out that layer of oil. Even with a natural bar soap, it's just the skin doesn't need it. It's not dirty. And that oil is cleansing enough and it is, you know, keeping the skin fresh, doing that light exfoliation. Mm, I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of people, when you say, oh, just, you know, put some oil on your face, they'd kind of balk at that because they're like, oh gosh, you know, especially if they've got oily skin, they're like, oh, I can't put more oil on my face. But, you know, the skin loves it. You know, a lot of skincare has alcohol in it and it's synthetic alcohol at that is is drying out the face and then we're causing an overproduction of oil too. Mm. You know, all those toners and oh, you'd be so be much better off with, you know, again, there are other toners you can use, a, a real rose water, frankincense. Don't use rose water with glycerin. But the apple cider vinegar one is great. And then you can also, with the oil cleansing, as I've suggested with the oil and cloth, if you need a little bit more exfoliation, like once a week, you can just take a, a, a pinch, a dusting of that baking soda, put it on that cloth with that spot of oil, and then you can do that over your body or face and you get that little bit more of an exfoliation. 
Another neat trick when you're brushing your teeth is after you've brushed, then you do another layer of baking soda. Like you can literally just cleanse your teeth with baking soda. Again, I think it's more fun to, you know, add some peppermint or even mix that baking soda with a bit of like coconut oil. I have recipes in in both my books. Obviously, the dental care book just has dental care recipes and the Renegade Beauty one has all kinds of recipes, including even one for mascara. So brushing your teeth, then you put on this other coat of baking soda, kind of leave it there. And then you just take a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar, pour that, put that in your mouth. And then you have this whole foaming situation, which is fun for kids. And it really helps to remove plaque, especially from the gum line. Mm, that's great. That's great. Yeah, we'll pop, we'll pop some links in the show notes to, to your books so people can go and find those recipes. And what do you think about the activated charcoal? Could you see that in a lot of products, especially that with you know, bake, baking soda? Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, you can mix it with some of that ba- baking soda and then do, you know, brush your teeth with that for sure. That, that's very helpful. Is it good on the skin as well in terms of drawing out toxins or anything? I don't think I would do it as like a full face mask, but more of a spot mask. And so what you can do, it's a good thing, either like with clay, activated charcoal, or a combo of both. If you just put a little pinch in the palm of your hand, and then you, if you add a drop of like even a frankincense or some essential oil that's okay, that's neat on your skin, like a a real frankincense is generally okay undiluted. Then you'll take that and then add just like one drop of like an oil. So that can be your olive oil or your best skin ever. And then you make that kind of little slurry in your hand. But doing that, but don't add the water. So this is just a better way to do a little spot mask. And then you put that on wherever you need it on your face. And then you can do that. Or you could even, if you want to keep that overnight, you could kind of glom it on more and then just make I don't know if anybody's familiar with kinesio tape, but that's quite friendly on the skin. It's actually really good for injuries and stuff. So we always have a roll in our house. It's it's easy to find now. You just pop it, pop it on the skin. It's just like a roll of tape, isn't it? Yeah, but it's like special for the Olympic athletes use it to help with areas that are injured because it kind of lifts the skin. Mm-hmm. And and actually, some people are even using like my friend. Dana over at Noi Skincare. You can look at, on Instagram. She has a whole course on face taping. So you can, you know, let's say like that, the wrinkle in the middle of the brow. Oh, yes, I've seen this. Yeah. That Botox spot. You can just put a patch of that uh, tape on there overnight and it does lift the skin and it does eventually, yeah, change the area. It's kind of cool. But uh, we also use it kind of like just tape without the therapy, like a sort of a band-aid. Like we just sort of make, I usually make my own band-aids with like the kinesio and then I just cut up like a flat cotton pad and then I'll put like essential oils on that cotton part. But anyway, so kind of you're doing the same thing for that spot mask. So if you really want to target that area, just glom on your little spot mask that you made, then you could put, just cut a little bit of a cotton pad over that. Or we also have strips of silicone and you can cut a patch of that up and you put that over it and then put on a little bit of the uh, kinesio tape. So it just, you know, stays on your face. And then you can kind of just have it, that area soaking, you know, overnight or whatever you need. And then that clay can help, or the clay or the charcoal can help draw things out like a drawing bomb. Great tip. That's, That's fantastic. 
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Natural Health with CNM. Still to come, I talk to Nadine about simplifying your skincare routine for both healthier skin and a happier wallet, natural skincare solutions for acne and blemishes, and the crucial role of sunlight and vitamin D for maintaining optimal skin health. Are you or a loved one struggling with health issues? Would you like to change career and become a natural therapist? CNM offers a wide range of short courses and diploma training both online and in class. Contact us today for a limited time to save 10% on short courses using the code PODCAST. Visit www.cnmpodcast.com. So in terms of skincare routines, it's about keeping it simple. So it's like cleansing with like an oil and then your cloth and then just kind of, you know, dabbing the skin down. And if you want to use a toner, it would be kind of like a, a like a pure rose spritzer thing. Is that what you said? A pure rose or even just spring water. You know, may, maybe you don't, maybe you just, it's too complicated. You know, like your house might just be tap water or whatever which is, you know, because it's hard to find whole home systems or you're renting or whatever. Anyway, if you just get a couple bottles of spring water that you can use on your face, mm-hmm. put that in a spray bottle, you know, add a drop of frankincense or lavender to that. And then you can have another face toner that you just made or a diluted apple cider vinegar. You can make just like a little batch sort of each week where you're diluting a bit with the water. I mean, it's an amazing face toner. I also love in between shampooing and conditioning, I have like a bottle in my, a bottle of apple cider vinegar in my bathing area. And then I will take like, and then I have a liter bottle that's empty and I'll put in like, you know, 10, 15% apple cider vinegar, add hot water. And then I pour that over my hair in between the shampooing and conditioning. So I pour it over, I don't rinse it out, and then I'll put the conditioner on, which is also amazing for scalp. Apple cider vinegar is fantastic, isn't it? It's so fantastic. It's definitely, you know, every household needs that. And you're going to save lots of lots of pounds and dollars, aren't you? Because you're not spending hundreds of pounds on all these products that have been marketed to you when you can just strip it right back and you have better skin and a better a better purse as well. <laughs> and saving your skin. Yeah. So what do you recommend for minimizing wrinkles and fine lines? I mean, you've touched on the taping, but is there any particular oils for that that would be helpful? Yeah. So everything that we've said, so don't, you know, generally like modern skincare, even though there's pretty ads and Photoshop faces, that's not the stuff that's that's actually going to be causing the fine lines and wrinkles. Even though maybe that day there's some kind of synthetic ingredient that will maybe plump something up. So just know that. So you want to get off that track and then nourish. So when we're even just switching over to oil from soap, then we're not taking the skin through that drying and through that degradation of a lipid barrier every day. So already you're on a better pathway. And then, you know, obviously inner nutrients is a big deal. And then people will ask, like, what's your best anti-aging face serum or whatever? And it's like, well, they really all are. Because it's like, that should be the goal, I think, of any face product. But really good ingredients for that are things like rose. I know I'm saying them a lot, but they are really and some of my favorites, which is the rose auto, but that that which is the steam distilled rose, which is different from the rose absolute, which is something that's more for perfumery. But the steam distilled rose is such a powerhouse of an oil and essence 
It is super expensive too, but it really, it's really quite medicinal. And it's also analgesic, frankincense, very nourishing lavender. Immortal is also one of my favorites. And you'll find I have a lot of those combos in, in various serums as well. I even have something called Dew Queen, which is actually a combo of all those oils straight up so that you can, you know, make your own things or apply it to, you know, bruising or scars, acne, that kind of thing. And just talking about acne actually in pimples, so now we talked about the charcoal for, for pimples and drawing things out, but are there any specific, specific oils that you would recommend for that? We have our whole doodab family, which are concentrate versions that you can like turn into a serum or apply neat to the skin because there's some times where we just want that one drop of oil. So again, they're very concentrated and you can just apply that to an area, an acne, because sometimes we have just the little blemishes that come up in the night or, you know, you wake up, you're like, what is that? It's not acne, but it's just sort of some patch or a spot. So that's what the doodabs are great for, melasma, hyperpigmentation, scarring, preventing like either from a new scar or an old scar, breaking down the keloids. So all those like that when we need special care on our skin or even a suturing, right? So we've got, yeah, like an open, like a cut or a a mini wound. So I love using the doodabs for that because they're the first stage if something's open is you want to clean it and have that skin seal and heal. So that's where I love the doodabs because it's undiluted. There's no oil, no fat in that. And so it will heal and seal the skin. When it's sealed, then you bring in the oil like a serum or a jojoba and you can combine the doodab with that or you know what I mean? So then that's when that then you work on that next layer. And, uh, you know, many doctors have been shocked at the speed of healing because the essential oils really act like they're voluntary. So they do speed up the healing of the area. They're able to help generate new skin cells, work with their anti-inflammatory and also working on the lymph system which is all things that you need when there is a disruption to an area of the skin. You know, there's inflammation involved, the lymphatic system's involved, and cells are obviously involved. So it really speaks to that. Mm -hmm. So you would put that on broken skin? Yeah, you can just, and there's essential oils. Again, it's not like you need to use the doodabs per se. You always want to be using a real essential oil though. And they are, you know, the ones that I've mentioned, again, they're also generally for like, you know, 99% of the people, if it's a real oil, they're safe to put on the skin undiluted, like there won't be a reaction. Whereas something like cinnamon, clove, oregano always have to be diluted because they're just, they're like, you know, very hot and can irritate the skin. And you definitely wouldn't want those on an open wound. But yeah, so frankincense, like if I had like a big, like, you know, or my son, obviously, (laughs) a teenage guy or just a boy, they're going to scrape their knee and do that kind of stuff. So I just like pour on the peppermint frankincense and the peppermint is cooling. It's like ice basically, you know, sometimes it's really pulsing your, your injury, your boo-boo. And so peppermint's just like having antiseptic ice put on it. It's like the, you know, it's super, it's all, they're all clean, right? They're super cleansing. 
It's just, I think, some of the best first aid stuff out there. Yeah, essential oils are fantastic. Yeah, again, you got to have it pure, and you know, and know, you know, know how it works on your skin or your child's skin before you use it, so that in those times of need or when you're rushing, you already know how your body's responding. With peppermint, just a, a bit of a caveat for small children under three. You know, a diluted or a drop in something's fine, but like you wouldn't want to use like a lot because it will bring down the body temperature. And under three, not so good at regulating their own body temperature yet. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a good tip. And just going back to the sort of knowing, you know, if an oil is pure, you know, what brands are, are kind of good to, where, where would people start with that? What sort of things should they be looking for? Yeah, that is a good question because there's a lot of obviously amazing marketing and you could think <laughs> that it all sounds good and organic and pure and food grade or therapeutic grade, which is really just made up. Like there's no standardization anywhere. So you want to know, you know, hopefully you can see the, you know, obviously the name of the oil, the Latin name of the oil, where it's grown, how it's grown, what part of the plant is being distilled. So that should be some of the basics that you can see. Because there are things like just like, you know, if you go to buy cinnamon at the health food store, cinnamon powder, 90% of the time, it's actually casea bark, not cinnamonum zelana. I can't remember the Latin name, but anyway, not actually true cinnamon. So same thing with the oil. It could be, say, cinnamon on the bottle, but it's actually casea bark. So that's like, you know, that's pretty common. Or, I mean, the it's pretty fancy footwork what they can do to... because they're used for the food and flavor industry, essential oils for decades and decades. So the what can be done in the lab to make something inauthentic or extract, you know, menthol and then make it synthetic or your peppermint may not be peppermint. It could be synthetic menthol or something like Melissa, which is lemon balm, which is super expensive, but smells quite normal and lemony. You know, it's not like a jasmine where you're really like, oh, I can see how this flower is so precious. I mean, I love Melissa, but it's just a bit of a more common smell. And so the, often that is just adulterated with types of citral or parts of like a lemongrass, that kind of thing. So it can just be flat out adulterated. It can be flat out not real. It can just be not the right label, so to speak. Or it could be like, you know, partly real, partly synthetic. So all kinds of stuff like that going on. And so what we also do is we third-party test all of our essences. I mean, we've been working with our distillers for a long time too. So there's, you know, standards that we are accustomed to and expect. But we we post the third-party testing, the gas chromatography readings of the essential oils on our website as well. So hopefully, you know, wherever you're buying from, you can get some kind of data like that. And then smell. Smell, you know, beautiful oils, ones that you know are real, and then smell from companies that are more, maybe more suspect. And then you can start dialing in and tuning in your own nose library so that you have your own discernment. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it's, you know, maybe giving these companies a call, requesting the data, doing the research, just like you would with any product, wasn't it? If you're trying to, you know, find out where it's sourced and, and you know, if the company can't provide you with that data, then, you know, it's probably not not the best quality, perhaps. Yeah, 
So I just want to talk about vitamin D and sunshine and why they're vital for skin health. Now, can you explain that a little bit for us and also how much sun we should be getting each day? Yeah, so sun is really key for our vitality and our skin. So our skin was literally designed to engage with sunbeams and get that sun on our body, contrary to like what sort of, I feel like the sun needs a new PR agency. (laughs) We've all been feared into this loss of sunlight, and yet it really is obviously essential for all things on the planet. And looking at, you know, medically, you can see that sufficient, being sufficient in vitamin D prevents, you know, there's like over 3,000 studies that show that we need to be sufficient in vitamin D. Getting it from food is rare, and it's a different type of vitamin D. And those foods generally we're not eating. It's like liver, sardines, cod liver, cod liver oil. But when sun beams touch our skin, we create a different form of vitamin D. It's water-soluble as opposed to like a food fat-soluble vitamin D. And when those sun rays touch our skin, our blood responds there's a, a natural vasodilation because the blood comes more to the surface of the skin because it wants to join the party and get cleansed by the sun. And then those rays, when they engage with the cholesterol on our skin, with a good, because we need cholesterol, the cholesterol is a whole other story, but there's good cholesterol that we need. And then that creates a beneficial cholesterol sulfate and Actually, apparently it creates over a dozens of different types of cholesterol, even include, including like uh, something called lumisterol. And there are just so many things that are created with that alchemy of sun and skin that are essential for our vitality, our longevity. And I'm sure we're going to find out in the next thousand years to come a bunch of other stuff that sunlight on skin creates. But for now, we know it's, you know, it creates catholicidins, it creates antimicrobial peptides, it creates the beneficial sterols. So it's very essential to our health. It's like an inner lubrication. I know we think of the sun as sort of drying us out, and obviously it can if it's there's too much, but it really is this essential lubrication and a melanin that it creates. So you recreate our own sun protection when we're creating that melanin slowly but surely. And melanin is really beneficial for our immune systems as well. So you know you're sufficient in vitamin D when you are sporting a tan, but otherwise it's hard to tell. And you live in England and I live in Canada. So we are definitely, you know, not having a vitamin D sunshine party all year long. Definitely not at the moment. (laughs) So besides vitamin D, that's coming from the UV ray, which is the violet rays. So if we think of the rainbow, that's, you know, the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, or indigo violet. So the violet's that top frequency, that top ray, and that's why we don't get it all year long because the sun isn't high enough, blah, blah, blah. But what is all the time available to us in England and Canada is the red light ray because that's like all day long and, of course, the, the other parts of the spectrum. And we know that is beneficial as well. So it's So getting out in the sun... First of all, there's the times of day after sunrise and before sunset where you're getting like some beautiful red light and infrared. 
And that, of course, you can just be freely in. And that's the first few hours of the day. And that's an amazing thing to do for your everything, immune system, vitality. And what's key is like when you wake up, you're already setting the tone for a good sleep. So we know that melatonin gets released from the pineal gland at night and circulates in the blood system, but that's only about 5% of the story. The main thing is we're supposed to be getting beautiful red light in the morning by waking up and going outside. And then that activates so many things from hormones to amino acids and so many body systems. But what one of the main things that happens is that we then in our create endogenous melatonin in our mitochondria. So we're producing a cellular melatonin that is essential for cellular health, for mitochondria health, and it acts as the greatest antioxidant, more powerful than glutathione, that is so essential for setting up our health. So that's one of the big benefits of the sun. So not everything's about like tanning, but then in that sort of more Again, it depends where you are. You want to get some of that midday sun because that's hopefully most of the time you've got that vitamin D in there with the violet rays and you want to build up slowly but surely. So in the spring in the UK and Canada, you can start, you know, come February, March, depending on your longitude, your latitude, and then you're building slowly but surely your melanin so that by that time June rolls around, you are like rocking basically your own uh, sun protection. And what helps with that is there's an app called D-Minder and it will take in the longitude, the latitude, the weather, your skin type. And then when you're, t- when you're out and sunbathing, you can track you know, how much vitamin D you're producing and you can keep a running track. Like I've been doing it for four years. So I have four, I know my vitamin D, you know, every day for the past four years because it's like a living thing in your body and you have to keep replenishing it. So then obviously by November now, like we haven't had vi- Violet Ray since October. So now I would take vitamin D supplements. I mean, you can just take vitamin D supplements, but you're missing out on a whole bunch of essential information. And when we do it right and we're not baking in chemicals, then we're not creating skin damage either. But again, we don't want to get burnt. But studies show, and I write about, I have the studies and stuff quoted in Renegade Beauty, but using sunscreen really damages our skin besides the chemicals, which are endocrine liver disruptors and all of that. The main thing is that sunscreen separates your reception of the UVA and the UVB rays because it blocks UVB and then you're just getting isolated UVA. So then you're not getting the full spectrum and UVA on its own is skin damaging and you're not getting any vitamin D because you blocked out the UVB. Okay, so you need that that balance basically. Yeah, for sure. And you know, if you got to get used to it and you're a little bit wary of what I'm saying about the sun and wrinkles and stuff, you know, then just wear a hat and tan the rest of your body. Mm-hmm. Because I know some people are very, very fair and they'll burn, you know, just going outside, you know, very briefly. So so should they put anything? Because I know in your range, you've got like a, an oil that you can put on. Is that recommended or is it just wear nothing? The oil has like plant, natural plant pigments and oil. It's like even a jojoba and olive oil will kind of give you what feels like a six, seven, eight SPF, except we can't, it's, it's, 
you know, you can't really compare because the SPF word terminology is only designated for synthetic ingredients, but it's kind of got the, the six, seven, eight vibe. Like it gives you that little bit longer. You know, if you were like sort of Mediterranean, that might be all you need all day. If you were like Irish blue haired, you know, that's going to help a little bit. And we also make a version with zinc and zinc is good because it, you got to get like a non-coated zinc, but it acts like a, it's a, a block because it literally, the rays bounce off you. And so that's how that works or that classic, you know, where you've seen the lifeguards with the white noses and stuff. We do our best to make it as, you know, not as white and rubbing it in and that kind of stuff really helps. But if you're new to the sun, again, it's just like, you know, maybe you, that's all you got is five minutes and then you're building up. It's hard because it's not like it's sunny every day. If it was sunny every day, it would just kind of be, you know, do five days for a few days and then you'd go up to 10 minutes for a few days, you know, and then get to 15 minutes. So you'd kind of work your way that way. Mm -hmm. So it's not, not baking yourself. Yeah, you just got to like get acclimatized, but it is a good idea to do because your body really, we just really need the sun. We're designed to engage. And if we don't get that essence, so to speak, then we're going to have other issues. Mm, I mean, I'm feeling it now. I feel like, gosh, I need some sun. It's just these these gray days, you know, one after another. And you can really feel it because your energy is lower. You just feel a bit sluggish, don't you? On days like that where it is gray, because obviously you're saying as soon as you get up in the morning, get outside. And those gray days, are we getting any benefit there? Is it still good to, to get outside? Obviously, there's no like tanning and all that. But in the morning, it is good. Even on a gray day, you're getting, you're still getting a lot of light information and it's still worth it. But it's not like, like today, it's like totally snowing and gray. (laughs) We do have red light. And so what I'll do on those mornings is I'll just like wrap myself up in the, in the red light blanket or there's red light panels or there's even like you could, just even have a, like a, a something on your night table, like a red light, which you could wake up to that. And then you're getting that red light, which is the infrared, which is really essential to our health as well. So that's where I find that is helpful. And I am trying right now, but I mean, I'm just starting is there's a vitamin D light. It's just like a handheld unit and like 30 seconds waving over the body is supposed to create about a thousand IU. Mm, it's really interesting. So just going back to the red light. So what would somebody look for? Is it just like a red light lamp? Yeah, there's all different kinds and quality. I mean, even I'm surprised, not that I'm uh, like trying to promote Amazon, but it is amazing what's on there. However, it's hard to tell if the quality is good. There's a, a friend of mine, not that like we're affiliated per se, but his, uh, he has a, a podcast called Red Light Podcast, but he has a, he has a mat called the Matrix Mat. And wow, it's like, I've had that for a year now and it's so much more fun than the panels. There's a lot of panels and you would traditionally just like kind of mount that on your wall and like stand in front of it, which is kind of boring, but it's so nice, the blanket, because you could like do yoga on it. You can lie on it. You can kind of roll yourself up with it. You could get under the blankets with it and like share it with a friend or, you know what I mean? Like, and travel with it, which is way more easier than a panel. So I am a fan of that. So it's hard to say what to look for for the quality. Okay. And is it the same as that, you know, I'm seeing quite a lot these red, like they're like masks that you'd put over your face. I think it's like an anti-aging thing. Is that the same type of technology? It is. Yeah. And that is, those are good too. 
I think he might make one of those again, though, there's like a difference in quality, but it's like about the, you know, the LED and like how powerful it is. And so there's, there's sort of things to look at, or if you, you know, if you can, if you know of a reputable place, then that is good. Cause there's like so many types of red masks and it definitely like the ones that are $400 aren't necessarily better than the $50 ones either. Mm, yeah. They're definitely good and beneficial. And like you could take a mask, like put on some honey or oil up your skin and then put on one of the red light face masks. And it's definitely a good and beneficial thing. Great, great tip. Thank you for that. And I just wanted to chat very briefly about facial exercises, you know, such as, you know, face yoga, face gym, which are quite all the rage at the moment. Do you recommend them? Are they good for our skin? Do they help with aging? Yeah, I think so because we're not moving or we do move our faces, but kind of not in that same way. And with age, unfortunately, there can be that bone loss and that muscle loss. So, Obviously, there's things to look at on a nutrient level, but we do need to keep the muscle and the bone going or there will be gravity in the jowls, so to speak. So I think red light is good for that. I think washa is good for that. And I'm sure it's not like I've ever sort of sat down and done proper face yoga, but obviously that seems like a good idea because movement is good for the face. But one thing I, I find effective and that I like Again, I like I like the biohacking because there are to me it's like we really need to engage with the elements of the cosmos, like the sunshine, water, air, you know, the earth, you know, being barefoot on the earth when you can, just lying on a patch of grass, eating the beautiful bounty of the earth, applying the botanicals to our skin. So that's sort of like the ways that we can engage with those elements. And with biohacking technology, generally speaking. They're concentrating the elements. You got ozone, which is concentrating, you know, oxygen. So it's sort of the quality of air element. You got things like hydrogen, red light, uh, good water, good food. And then there's something called PEMF, which is pulse electromagnetic frequency, which I love. And again, that's a whole other area where there's a whole range from smaller devices to, you know, ones that you'd find at a chiropractor's office. But that pulse electromagnetic frequency is amazing for subtle bone, like for bone density and brittle muscle and cellular, like it really helps the mitochondria and the cells. So that I find really good. And there's ones that you can use, you know, around the face or the neck or there's, yes, you could use one like that. And then there's pieces of silica, kind of called like jaw. Jaws or Sizer might be a brand, but you don't, there's so many kinds now, but basically just these silica things, kind of like silica chew toys for humans, like chew on those, which is even on their own. Those are really good. That To, to me, that might be more effective than a topical moving the skin around with face yoga. So if you chew on those for a month or two, I mean, you would have to keep it up. You will definitely change your jawline, get rid of a bit of that tech neck. And if you do that with the PEMF, then you're really rocking. Mm, 10 years younger. <laughs> it's good for your health, your body. You're building up the subtle, you know, again, bones are going to need more than that. And they totally need vitamin D. 
but it does give uh, that other support because bones are piezoelectric, so they respond to it very well. Mm. And as you said, you've got to have that good foundation. You've got to be eating, you know, those whole organic foods, you know, having a clean diet, drinking clean water, you're making, you know, stripping back all, all the things you're putting on your skin. It's It's kind of, it's multifactorial, isn't it? Yeah, it's totally multifactorial. And and with obviously we want to be eating whole foods and getting, you know, good fat, good protein and all of that. Something that I'm working on right now, I'm writing an article on oxalates and oral care, but I just thought I'd mention oxalates are very pro-aging and are in a lot of foods, including foods that a lot of people are eating to be healthy, like a green smoothie filled with spinach or almonds and almond milk, that kind of thing. And what we know now more than ever before is that the oxalates, they're, you know, I wrote about them but a bit in my dental book because there are anti-nutrients. So as we're trying to be healthy and holistic, there are dun, 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 these anti-nutrients mm. that will deplete the body. And so oxalates, one of their main issues, they're kind of like these shards of glass that can build up in the body. And then depending on your Achilles heel is maybe how it will manifest, you know, arthritis, eczema, that kind of thing. Or your thyroid, for example, it's kind of a root cause of a lot of thyroid issues. Over 80% of people over 50 have oxalate shards in their thyroid, which can be causing things like Hashimoto's, or just general thyroid dysbiosis. But the main, one of the main things and why I'm mentioning this, because we've talked about bones a lot, is they, the oxalates are basically chelating essential minerals from your bones. Mm-hmm. And so they're really weakening bones, bone density, bone structure. And so they're very, you know, they're not anti-aging at all. And so you want to get to a low oxalate diet it's kind of impossible to do like, no, it's not like gluten. You just want to go low ox. So not choosing from those high, high oxalate foods or, you know, having every meal based on oxalates because they do totally build up and they rob, they rob our bones. So you want to go low ox and then bring in magnesium citrate, calcium citrate, potassium citrate to rebuild from what we have been getting in our body and to help, you know, guide them out of your body or if, you know, up your minerals more because they really, the oxalates really create a dysbiosis with the ionizing and alkalizing minerals. Mm, Thank you for flagging that up. Is there a way of reducing the oxalates in a food like by cooking them, for example? Some, you know, and there, there is... I'm the soaking and the sprouting, but on some items, it's not enough. Like a quinoa, I would just forget about it. I do love yams because I also use them to make like dough and stuff. Like I love making these calzones and we make a yam dough. But uh, so the uh, potatoes and yams, you can boil and then rinse. And there are even Instapots now that have, they're called low-carb cookers or something like that. And they are sort of keep the water separate. So, which is really that, that's the water containing a lot of the oxalates and stuff. So I think there's a a window there to enjoy some of those things or to make them more low. And it's often maybe the only sort of oxalate item that I'm eating. And there's good, like there's good uh, Sally... Norton has a great book that just came out this year that will, you know, it's just, is a great guide. It's got 
all the information you need. Mm, so just being aware of that. That's the thing sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes we can be eating a lot of something which we think is healthy, but it might not be good for our bodies. So so yeah, just being mindful of that. So thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. That's really, really helpful. And just for those who aren't aware, a gua sha is, it looks a bit like a, a stone they're quite often made of like rose quartz or something like that. Can you just explain what it is for those people that that are not aware? Historically, it's been made out of like a bone when they're carved and sanded. They're quite a smooth surface, almost feeling like a rock or a quartz or jade, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, they've been around for hundreds of years. And it is like a tool that then you can basically do face massage with. And it helps to improve circulation and stuff, especially when you you know, go over the vagus nerve, the neck, the lymph system. And you know what? My my friend Dana over at Noise Skincare, she is a master at like teaching the, how to use the gua sha. It's great. And you can see we have some on our site that we've designed that you can look at. And we have a new one that's smaller. And then there's a long part. So you kind of got this like pen, so to speak, that you can go like do pressure points. Oh, that's that's good to know because someone bought me one. It's beautiful. It's a, a rose quartz one. But I must admit, I haven't been very good at using it because I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. I mean, obviously there's ways and areas to get, but it's not like, oh, you got to do it. Like it's not, it's easy. And you can be, you can just play around. And just like if you were massaging your hand, you'd just be like, oh, that feels good. Oh, that area, I'm going to hit there. So you can do that with the gua sha. And the main thing is to just do it. And like, you know, do it when you're doing something else. Like, you know, if you're watching something anyway, just like get, you know, just wash your face first with the oil cleansing method, put on a squirt of oil and then just go for it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. But it is very relaxing and very cooling. So yeah. Now, just to finish up, what is your biggest tip for achieving radiant glowing skin? I think the oil cleansing and then getting your cheeks kissed by the sun. Great advice. Yeah, I think that's a, they're, they're two easy things for, for people to do. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom with us today. It's been it's so inspiring and yeah, really, really insightful, Nadine. Really, uh, you know, it's been great having you here. Where can people find more information about you and the work that you do? Well, the main hub would be uh, our website, livinglibations.com. And through there, there's, you know, interviews and articles that you can check out as well. And Seriously, feel free to email us any, you know, health, beauty, oral care question. We're so happy to help and, you know, set you up with some resources, that kind of thing. And then the books are available there or on Amazon. They're also on Audible. And of course, we're just on all the regular social media channels as well. And for those looking to learn more about nutrition for skin health and making your own natural skincare, CNM has some fantastic short courses. So we'll pop a link in the show notes to those. Well, thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. Take care. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Nadine for sharing her knowledge and expertise with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Nadine in the show notes on the CNN Podcast website at www.cnnpodcast.com. And if you're interested in learning more about nutrition, skin health, or natural skincare, check out CNN's range of short courses and diploma training on the CNN website at www.naturopathy-uk.com. And we also have a series of open events coming up and you can find all the information on the events section of the website. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.